All right, Romans 16 is where I want you to turn. Romans chapter 16. We're going to finish out Romans chapter 16 over the next couple of weeks. We have been in an extensive study uh, in the book of Romans. If you're joining us today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you haven't been in a while, uh, we were in Romans for about a year and a half. We took a small break during the COVID pandemic. Uh, We shifted to the book of Colossians. We're back in the book of Romans. We've been continuing expositionally teaching through this book. We're arriving right now at the very last chapter this morning. And what we're going to see is kind of this this portion of Scripture that, that honestly, for most people, when you get to a portion of Scripture like this, especially in your personal daily reading, it's real easy to gloss over or to skip entirely because this portion of Scripture has a bunch of names in it. And, and you know how it is, man, especially in the Old Testament. When you start reading and you feel like you're reading the Jewish phone book, you know what I'm talking about? Like in First Chronicles, like the first, you know, 10, 11 chapters of First Chronicles, you guys have read that, right, in the Old Testament? It's just name after name after, it's like reading a Jewish phone book. It's like, man, are you kidding me? Uh, it, and as we get into the end of Romans, there's going to be a similar passage of Scripture Let me remind us, God tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable for us, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Every word of God is pure, according to Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5. So every word that's in this book, including the names, God says is profitable and it's pure and it's for our learning. And so there's no wasted space in God's word. And so what we're going to learn this morning, and if you want to flip your announcements over. There's a couple of notes and and some blanks if you want to follow along this morning. We're going to learn a principle this morning about ministry. Ministry is relationships. It's been said many times that ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And as we get into this passage this morning, I want you to understand that God, here's a key principle, God is interested in you. And God is interested in who you've ministered with and to. Because when you get to a passage like this and you read all these names, you may think, man, how boring, how, how ridiculous. Well, let me tell you, if your name was in that list, it wouldn't be boring or ridiculous. As a matter of fact, you would be pretty excited that God felt and, and God viewed you as worthy enough to be named in the eternal word of God forever for what you did in your service to Christ and to other people. God is very interested in you. And, and listen, as we go through this passage, there are 27 names listed Also, there are terms like the brethren that speak to a a larger group of people, the saints, the household. And there's a a husband and wife team mentioned in here called Aquila and Priscilla. We've met them other times in the scripture. Those are the only names that are mentioned outside of Romans 16, any other place in the Bible. In other words, what we have in Romans 16 is a unique list of people who they are, and what they've done forever recorded in God's Word. To me, that's pretty awesome. And nowhere else in Scripture are their names mentioned. And so here's the key, second key principle you want to get by way of introduction is God keeps accurate record of who you are and what you've done for Him. You know, as we read Romans chapter 16, we're going to read some history about some people, and we're not going to take the time to go through all 27 names because the truth is uh, it would take us months to do that. But God is really interested in accurate record keeping. And just as much as God has preserved in his eternal word the testimony of faithful saints, God also 
is interested in keeping accurate record of you and what you've done for the Lord and who you've ministered with. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, God tells us that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to receive the things done in our body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In other words, God is a really good record keeper. And, and we're not talking about your sin. Your sin was dealt with at Calvary. Your sin is, is finished, past, present, and future, in the person and under the blood of Jesus Christ. But what you do from the moment of salvation forward really matters. And it matters to God. So much so that God says, hey, one day when I see you face to face, finally, I'm going to let you give an account. I'm going to let you give an account of what you've done how you've allowed me to guide your life, how you've allowed the Holy Spirit of God to use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so ministry is relationships this morning. And, and this morning, we're going to look at two of the, two of the, uh, the listings. If you look at Romans 16, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. We're going to start with Phoebe. And Phoebe is a servant of the church. And, and so let's look at verses 1 and 2, read in your Bible or, or look on the screen. The Bible says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. And so as we, as we, as we get into this list of names, 27 names that are mentioned in this chapter, it is very interesting to me that God right off the bat List this woman named Phoebe. It says that she's a servant of the church, but it also says that she's our sister. Paul says this is our sister in the Lord, okay? And that speaks to the power of our relationships. It speaks to the power of our relationships because the church is a family, amen? The church is not a country club. It's not, it's not you know, your gym membership where you just pay your dues and Come enjoy the, the fringe benefits, the coffee, the donut, and, and then you exit. No, no, listen, the church is a family. That's what it is. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is declaring his relationship with Phoebe. She is our sister. In other words, she's my sister, but she's also your sister. She's a sister in Christ, and that's what Christianity is. Christianity is a family to belong to. You know, you can pick your friends but you can't pick your family. I found that out the hard way when my sister was born. <laughs> I know, man, I know. Like you don't even, you, you're taking her side, like already. My sister's a missionary in Kenya, by the way. That's who we're going to see in a couple of weeks. But man, life was good for about five years as a kid. I had, I had, I had the world to, at my disposal. I'm just telling you. And then my mom and dad told me that, you know, I was getting a, a sibling and I was like, what's that, you know, type thing. Well, you're getting a brother or sister. I was like, do I get a vote on this? <laughs> I mean, what's going on? I mean, I had all the attention. I was like the oldest grandkid. I had all the favor and all the family. There were no girls. And so, man, listen, when my sister was born, it wrecked everything for me. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. I love my sister. I know all of you have already sided with her. Lord, forgive them. Okay, so <laughs> the point is, truthfully, listen, man, you'll go to war for your family. You know, you know what I'm saying? You expect more out of your family than, than even your friends. There's just a different, 
There's just a different relationship in family. And we're talking about blood family, yeah, for sure. But can I just tell you, the family of God is the same way. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, tells us that if we are born again, we're part of the whole family of God. Look what it says in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knee, Paul writes, and he says, unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so listen, when, when you accept Christ, you are born again, according to John chapter 3. And you're born into the family of God. And every other believer in Christ that's put their faith and trust in the gospel is born into the family of God, and they are family. And you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick. Paul says, this is our sister. I'm sending her to you, and and we'll see in a second what Paul is sending Phoebe with to the Romans. But he makes a very strong point right out of the gate, right out of the gate, because ministry is relationships. And listen, we need to appreciate relationships in the body of Christ. The family of God is not expendable. The family of God is not expendable. And you need to learn to appreciate your brothers and sisters in Christ. When we studied 1 Timothy chapter 5, we studied the whole book of 1 Timothy, but, but in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Paul is addressing Timothy as a minister, he goes through these different relationships and he talks about how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. He says in, in 1 Timothy 5 verses 1 and 2, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a what? So those that are elder in age, we're to respect them as fathers, and the younger men, we're to treat them as brethren as brothers and the elder women in our church they are to be regarded and entreated as mothers and the younger sisters we're to treat them as sisters and the bible says with all purity and so let me just say if you're dating a a christian uh girl in in this church or any other church you had better treat her like your sister in the area of purity Because God said the way you handle each other in relationship is really important. God said we value relationships. And so when when Paul expresses to the saints at Rome, hey, hey, just so you know, she's our sister. That means that you had better receive her as such. You had better receive her as becometh saints. Because Christians ought to have right relationships in the body of Christ. It also is very interesting to me that of all the list of names... God chose to put a woman first. God put a woman first. And the reason God put a woman first is because God wants to teach us something. You see, there are critics of the Bible that would say, well, God is chauvinistic. God is, you know, God is against women. The Bible is against women. All these different things. I'm going to tell you, before we're done today, you're going to realize God entrusted this woman with, with the most important thing present in her day. The most important thing present in her day was the book of Romans. And God said, I'm going to entrust her to take the scriptures to Rome. (laughs) That's pretty powerful. God is for women. God God is absolutely for men and women. There is no inequality. There certainly are different offices and different responsibilities, but there certainly is never inequality. The Bible tells us that secondly, that Phoebe was a servant of the church. So she's our sister, but then number two, she's a servant of the church, which is that centria. And that speaks to our responsibility. 
Because Phoebe for us is an example of a faithful servant of God to her local church. She's a servant of the church. Now the truth is, and we have to spend just a minute here, this is not the main point of the message this morning, but, but we do have to spend a minute here, because in some versions of the Bible, this word, servant, is translated as deacon or as deaconess. In other words, if you were to have an amplified Bible, for instance, and I'm not picking on anybody's, anybody's Bible, but I want to make a point here. If you have an amplified Bible, the, the Bible says that Phoebe is a deaconess in Romans 16 and verse 1. If you have a New International Version Bible, the Bible says that Phoebe is a deacon of the church in Centria. And if you have a New Living Translation, again, it says that she is a deacon. So is she a deacon or a deaconess? Because those are two different words. The Greek word is diakonos. And and again, you don't have to really go to the Greek to understand the Bible. But let me make this point. That word diakonos is translated in other portions of Scripture as minister as servant, and as deacon. And so the question always comes in Romans 16, was Phoebe a deacon of the church at Centria? In other words, did she hold the office of the deacon? And so here's a key principle we have to understand as we study the Bible. No portion of Scripture cancels out any other portion of Scripture. And the way we understand the Bible is to compare Scripture with Scripture. Okay, and so the other place that we would study deacons is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Philippians chapter 1. And so let's go there. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, let the deacons be the husband. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Okay, so again, why did God choose to put the word servant in Romans chapter 16 instead of the word deacon or deaconess. Well, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's required of a deacon that he be the husband of one wife. That's really hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife. Now, I know we lived in a pretty jacked up culture right now, and men don't know their men, and women don't know their women, and, and we have a lot of gender identity issues. But, it, but a, a woman can't be the husband of one wife, and, and also, God has not called the woman to rule her own house well. God has called the man, the husband of the home, to rule his house well. So husbands, God's called you to rule your house well. So do it, husbands. That's what he's called us to do. So the requirement for a deacon is that that it is reserved for the office of a man. The requirement for a bishop in the church, the other office of the, the local New Testament church, is also to rule his house well, 1 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 2 to 4, the Bible says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. What that really means is, no, what it really means is what it says. That's what it says. God got it right. He's got to be vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy luger, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection to all gravity. You see, critics of the Bible and critics of Christianity and critics of biblical authority will come to the Bible and say, well, the real issue, the supposed issue of your God is gender equality. That's the supposed issue. And you've got an old King James Bible that's outdated and times have changed and people have changed. 
And so now, you know, again, God's a chauvinist. God hates women. God thinks women are inferior. You mean to tell me that a woman can't do just as good of a job as a man? And let me just say for the record, that's lost people talk. God's very clear that God made a man and God made a woman, according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse, verse 27. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created them. One, one came from the dust of the ground. That was Adam. One came from the bone of the man, woman. And they are d- different, they are unique, and they are beautiful in God's design and in God's purpose. But sadly, even that point is lost amongst a sea of voices in today's culture that hate God and cannot accept even their own God-given gender. We have terms like gender fluidity, gender identity, gender non-binary. And the truth is that's all a result of a reprobate mind, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 32. When you hate God and you hate his word, you leverage it to your advantage. So the real issue is not gender equality. The real issue is biblical authority. That's the issue. The issue is always biblical authority. And listen, if you're hearing this and you're saying, man, you sure are hard against women, you're not really hearing what I'm saying. (laughs) You're not hearing what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people don't need to come correct the Bible because the Bible is right. And you don't bend the Bible and go find a Bible that supports your opinion that is contrary to the word of God. First Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Philippians chapter 1 are the two places where deacons are mentioned. And in both mentions of the word deacon in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Philippians chapter 1, it's dealing with the office. Because the, the office of a deacon is an office of the local New Testament church, just as the bishop or the elder or the pastor, those three terms, used synonymously. So let's look at it. First Timothy chapter three, verses eight through 13. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, Sober, faithful in all things, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children well in their own houses. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. The same two offices that you find in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The issue is authority. And the issue is biblical authority. And God's relegated that authority to a man. He's relegated it to the man just the same way that he's relegated the authority in the home and the responsibility to lead in the home to the husband. I guess we don't like that. I don't don't know. I'll take silence as consent, man. And so listen, if if that hits you crooked... Well, God's word is very clear. There are no ordained offices in the New Testament church for ladies. Does that, Jay, are you, and again, man, if you think I'm against women serving in the church, we're not done yet, so just bear with me. If you've already checked out, you've missed the point. 
But there are no ordained offices in the New Testament church for women, just as there are no women that are the husbands of one wife, and just as there are no wives that are called to be the head of their homes. Now, that, that's probably a good spot for an amen right there, too. So, men, we're called to be the head of our home, biblically. Why? Because it paints a picture of Christ and his church, and Christ is the head, and the church is the body. And when you go messing up God's pictures, you're messing up the Word of God. You're messing up the picture that God's wanting to paint. All the elders in the Bible were men. All the apostles were men. All the bishops were men. All the deacons were men. But let me help you also understand that just because you have an office doesn't mean that that you're the only person that gets called to serve. Because everyone in the body of Christ is called to serve. Well, you would say, well, what about those men that just won't step up and serve like they're supposed to? What, what about those men that don't step up and lead like they're supposed to? I'm just going to do it because I can do it, and oh, by the way, I can do it better as a woman. Well, listen, two wrongs don't make a right. And, and his violation of God's word and not leading doesn't excuse you to violate God's word with that type of reasoning. So the question is, did Phoebe hold the office of a deacon or a deaconess? The answer is no. The term deaconess is not in the Bible unless you have an amplified version of the Bible, which is confusing. But the bigger question is, did Phoebe serve? And the answer is yes. And and so what we can learn from Phoebe is, whether we have an office or not, we're all called to serve. We're all called to serve. Can I just remind you that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and yet he was a servant? As a matter of fact, as we, as we get into the book of Romans, we saw in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul himself said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Then he says, called to be an apostle. We're all called to serve, no matter our position or responsibility. Jesus Christ himself is God Almighty, but he made himself a servant, according to Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 to 7, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. The point is, position, no position, it doesn't matter. We're called to serve. We're called to serve Christ. And so get this key in your notes. Look, your responsibilities... In other words, if you have a responsibility as a, as a deacon or as a, as a pastor, or your lack of responsibility, you don't hold an official title, can never be a replacement or an excuse for service. Let, let me say it this way, and, and I know that that's a weird blank when you read that. It's kind of like, why did, why did he say it like that? In other words, you can't say, I can't serve because I am a pastor or a deacon. I have an office. You can't say, oh, I can't, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm too good to scrub a toilet <laughs> because I'm a pastor, I'm a deacon. Uh, i got to be careful right here. Uh, you you want to be ordained into the ministry as a pastor or deacon? Learn to scrub those toilets, man. Because if you're too good to scrub a toilet, you're probably too too good to stand in a pulpit and preach the word of God. You're too good. You're too good to grab a broom. You're too good to serve in pulpit ministry. You're, you're too good to lead a department. 
So you can't say, hey, I, I can't serve because I'm a pastor or deacon. You also can't say, I won't serve because I'm not the pastor or the deacon. In other words, hey, we've got people that do that. We've got Jay, we've got the pastor, we've got some deacons that are going to be ordained, hopefully in the next couple of months. Well, they can do that. They're on staff. They have positions of leadership. Well, well Phoebe didn't have a position of leadership. She was a servant of the church, and God forever recorded her testimony in the Word of God as an example for us. The Bible says that she was a servant of the church, which is at Centuria. And so get this down in your notes. Your Christian service is to be lived out in the local church. Your Christian service is to be lived out in the local church. And can I just tell you, man, we will serve anything and anybody, won't we? Won't we? Man, we'll, listen, you'll serve your golf team, you'll serve your fishing buddies, you'll serve your employer, you'll serve your wife, and you should. Pro-women, by the way, okay? Just pro-my wife. Let me, let me make that a little clearer. I'm pro, I'm pro for your marriage too, but yeah, yeah, we're going to keep it between the lines right here. But listen, man, we, we will bend over backwards for community organizations, nonprofits, whatever it is. But when it comes to serving the church, it's tough to, it's tough to garner support and help. And I'm telling you, we have needs all the time. This building doesn't clean itself. These kids don't get taught by themselves. Those babies don't get padded by themselves and rocked by themselves. We need help. We always need help. And you need to be available. You need to be available. Phoebe was committed to and a servant of the local church. Okay. Are we still on point one in your notes? Man, I hope you packed a lunch. All right. So she is a sister. She's a servant. And then number three, she's a succorer of many. A succorer of many. And I'm sure you've used that word this week in your, in your conversation. The, the word succorer means literally to bring aid or to bring relief. And so not only did she serve her church, she served people outside of her church. That speaks to our reach. It speaks to our reach. You see, Phoebe was a helper in bringing aid or relief to many people, including the Apostle Paul. And in that way, she is much like Christ. She's much like Christ as a servant. She's much like Christ as a succorer. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. Speaking of Christ, it says, For in that he himself, Christ, hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And let me just ask you the question. Has Christ brought you any relief in your life? Have you cried out to the Lord and asked for help? And did God deliver Okay, three of you, God delivered, and I guess the rest of you, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. But listen, Phoebe, like Christ, was a succorer of many. She helped people. And let me just tell you, the ultimate way you can help people is by bringing them the gospel. Now listen, we, we have internal needs in our church. We have benevolence. We have ministry that we're called to do and help. I'm going to mention Gabe Cook at the end of service. Gabe just recovering, is recovering from a major surgery. We need to help him. He's part of our church family. But, but the way that we help other people outside the church ultimately is to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And, and, and again, can I just tell you, Phoebe, man, she was entrusted to take the very scripture, the epistle to the Romans, the Pauline epistle to the Romans. 
She was instructed and entrusted to take that inspired and inscripturated word of God to the intended audience for their benefit. And she faithfully fulfilled her commission. And I'm just telling you, similarly, we are to be the servants of God. We have been commanded to take God's word, his inspired and preserved word, to the intended audience, and that's the world. So Phoebe for us, again, is this woman full of faith. By the way, God trusted a woman to do that, to take the inspired and scripturated word of God to its intended audience. And God's still doing that today, but the woman that he's using today is the church, the bride of Christ. The body of Christ. God intends that woman, the bride of Christ, to take the word of God to the intended audience. By the way, the most important document ever written concerning the doctrine of salvation, both to the individual and to the nation of Israel, is the book of Romans. And God entrusted a woman to make sure it got delivered. Now, you tell me that God's against women. That's lost people talk. That's unreasonable. That's foolish. This woman is a, a mighty minister of God, didn't have an office, didn't need an office, and accomplished everything that God had, had given her the opportunity to do. Okay, we've got just a few minutes. Let's get to the second point, and, and then we're done. Okay, look at verses 3 to 5, and then we'll finish up. We're going we're gonna to be secondly introduced to Aquila and Priscilla. How are we doing? You guys okay so far? All right, look at Aquila and Priscilla. What we're going to see in... in, in in these two people's lives is we're going to see a picture of a sanctified marriage. And I want you to pick it up in verse 3. Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And he goes on to mention another guy too. We'll, we'll pause right there at the end of the first half of verse 5. And so, so what's interesting is we get into Romans chapter 16, we find Phoebe, a sister in Christ, a servant of the church, a succor of many. She's been entrusted with God's word to deliver it to the intended audience. And now we have a married couple mentioned. So again, it begs the question, was Phoebe not married? Was she single? Was she widowed? Was she divorced? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe she was married and her husband was lost. Maybe she was married and her husband was unfaithful to the Lord. Maybe she was married and he's just not mentioned in the scriptures. But here's what I know. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're married and have a, a faithful spouse to the Lord or an unfaithful spouse to the Lord, God can still use you. The point is God can still use you. God uses both types of people in his church and his ministry. And so Aquila and Priscilla picture for us a sanctified marriage. And so these two people are found six times in Scripture. And, I, and again, man, there's just something interesting about every time they're mentioned. God, God in his providence and through his Holy Spirit just allows us to see a picture in the order of the names every time they're given. Can you look at Acts 18 and verse 2? Look what it says. Again, first mention. It says, They found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy, with his wife... Priscilla, do you guys ever get their names backwards? Like, do you think like that's like two women's names, man? What Aquila? That's a dude's name for real? Okay, when you see him in heaven, you know he's gonna he's gonna be looking for you, man. He's like, bro, <laughs> you think I'm a woman? What? 
Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila is the husband, Priscilla is the wife, okay? So, so in the first mention of their name, God mentions the husband first. Because God hates women? No, because there's an order to the home. There's an order. There's a husband and a wife. There's a head and a body. It's the same body. It's one flesh. It's one flesh. And so God gives us the order to establish their marriage in verse 2. Side note, they fled from Italy and they ended up meeting up with Paul in Corinth because all the Jews were forced out of Italy. So they experienced personal persecution in their marriage. Listen, they're, 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 they're fleeing Italy because they're commanded to flee. And in the midst of their persecution, God happens to land them in the exact same city where the Apostle Paul was going to be. That's very interesting to me. The point is that your persecution, God's sovereignty is still at work. Could you understand that maybe what you're experiencing may be because God wants to grow you? Because I guarantee you the time they spent with the Apostle Paul in Corinth changed their life. It changed their life and their marriage forever. God is still working toward his eternal purpose. They were tent makers. Paul was of the same craft. The second time they're mentioned it is in verse 18. It says, after this, Paul tarried there a good while. He took his leave of the brethren. They sailed thence into Syria. And with him, notice the order, who's mentioned first? Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. Now Priscilla is mentioned first, and Aquila is mentioned sec- second. What's the point? The point is, they're husband and wife. They're one body. And God views it as such. God is not valuing one more than the other. God values both equally, and there is order in the home. And by the way, in verse 18, they go on a mission trip with Paul. So go on a mission trip with your spouse. Why are you waiting to do ministry with anybody other than the person God gave you to do ministry with? God gave you a spouse to do ministry with. Let God work in both of your hearts. Take a mission trip together and see what God does in your heart and life. I'm really excited, man. We have people that are married that are going on mission trips together. That's exciting because God's going to do something in their hearts. Look at verse 26. He began boldly to speak in the synagogue, and whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Uh, the, the, the issue now is this man named Apollos, and he shows up in Ephesus, and he's preaching uh, wrong doctrine. And the Bible says that this husband and wife ministry team were able to love this guy and to expound unto him the way of God more perfectly. In other words, both were capable Bible students and teachers, the husband and the wife. Both were capable. Look at, uh, by the way, the husband's mentioned first. Go to the very next one. Romans 16, verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Us, God switched it again. Now God mentions the wife first. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you. Well, God switched it back. 2 Timothy 4, verse 19, salute Priscilla and Aquila. God switched it again. As a matter of fact, every verse from front to back in the Bible, God flips it. You know why God does that? Because they're both valuable. Because there is no gender equality. That's nonsense. That's lost people talk. God values both. God has an order in the home, but God values both. God values the ministry team together. They have a sanctified marriage that God is using for his glory. And that's how God looks at it. Husband and wife, wife and husband. Okay, you don't find that exciting. I do. Here's the other key that I find very exciting. They're never mentioned alone. They're never mentioned alone. They're always mentioned together. 
they're always mentioned together. And you see, that's God's intention for your marriage. That you would minister together with your marriage. That was God's design in the garden, by the way. When God made Adam and then he gave him the woman from his side, God gave them a mission. It was a co-mission to be accomplished together. They were to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth with sons of God. Of course, we know in Adam's commission that was both physical and spiritual, and then they sinned and they died spiritually. But we know in the New Testament we are called to reproduce sons of God spiritually through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what better person to do that with than your spouse? God, God, God has put you together with a spouse, a husband or a wife, whichever way it lands in your lap, to do ministry together. The other cool thing that I see in their marriage is they had an impact not just in one church, but in all the churches of the Gentiles. You talk about a powerful ministry couple who glorified God for their marriage. And listen, I'm, I'm not an idiot. Man, I, I know that not every marriage is like this. But this is the standard. This is the standard. You know, and I, and I understand, man, there are some wives that are passionately on fire for the Lord and have husbands that are checked out to lunch, man. I get it. And there's some husbands on fire for the Lord that feel like they have to drag their wife to church, drag their wife to the mission field, drag their wife to serve. But the standard is, the the picture is, that we do it together. Because God gave us each other to picture Christ in the church, and God gave us the help meet, and God gave us the leader to accomplish the ministry that God's given us. That's That's what he did. And so their impact wasn't just in their local church. God says, God says of this couple, man, all the Gentile churches give thanks for this couple. What a powerful testimony. Okay, one last point, and then we're done. Uh, what, what is interesting in Romans 16, we haven't worked all the way through the verses, but I, I do want to just make this sub-point real quick. As we study the chapter, there are three distinct, independent, and interdependent churches mentioned. In other words, when you read Romans 16, you actually find that there are pockets of believers that Paul addresses separately. Of course, he mentions in, in chapter 16, verse 5, he says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house, Aquila and Priscilla's house. You talk about a ministry, a home that's purposed for ministry. There it is. The early church had to meet in houses. There wasn't, there wasn't you know, buildings and air conditioning and screens and, and coffee. There, there wasn't any of that. So the early church met in homes. But what's interesting is Paul addresses these pockets of believers that are spread out through Rome. Look at verse 14. Uh, salute Asyncritus and that guy and Herman and the other guy and Hermes and the brethren which are with them. And so you have a church at Priscilla and Aquila's house. Then you have some brethren which are with these other guys. And then you got verse 15, salute that guy and Julia and the other guy and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. And so there's like these pockets of believers in Rome. I don't know about you, but Rome's kind of a big place. You ever been there? <laughs> I have. They wouldn't all fit in this building. Rome's a big place. It needed several like-minded churches throughout the city to reach it with the gospel. 
And the point is, in the early church, they met in homes. And the point is, there's a plurality of households committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we have something very similar called the Living Faith Fellowship of Churches, right? We have churches that are scattered throughout our nation, even internationally, that are like-minded. But can I just tell you, even in our city, it would be kind of cool. We can't get all the Huntsville in here. But we got some homes sprinkled all over this city. We got families sprinkled all over this city. What, what, what's it going to take? Well, what it's going to take is some husbands and wives that will sanctify their marriage. That's what it will take. And all of a sudden, when your home becomes a base of operations for ministry, well, God, God can do something with that. God can do something with that. Close your Bibles. Let me ask you a couple of questions. We're done this morning. Two minutes early. How do we do that? Man, I'm going to get that two minutes back next Sunday, by the way. You know, we've seen two cool examples this morning. One's Phoebe. She's a servant of the church. So you've got to ask yourself the question, am I a servant of the church? Let's back up before we even talk about her being a servant. She's a sister in Christ. Are you born again? Are you saved? Are you in the family of God? And I hope the answer to that is yes. And if the answer to that is no, then, then understand that Christ loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sin. That he bled out and died on that cross of Calvary and he paid the penalty and the price that was required for your sin and for mine. And it's only through him and, and his forgiveness that we can be saved from our sin. And the way you receive Christ is not, is not through a wafer or some juice or an, a religious act like baptism. The way you receive Christ is by faith. You believe in the finished work of Christ for your salvation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 verse, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It, it's faith in the finished work of Christ. And so if you haven't done that, let me encourage you to do that today. And then once you become a brother or sister in Christ, have you, have you become a servant? Do you serve your church? Do you serve the Lord Jesus Christ? And for those of you that are married, do you have a sanctified marriage? In other words, is your marriage a marriage of ministry? Are you, are you pursuing together what God intends for your marriage? And if not, why not? Which one of you needs to get on board with God's purpose for your marriage? You say, well, we didn't get married for that. Well, that's okay. God's bigger than your ignorance. Your motivation to get married and his were two different things. And God's bigger than that. And the truth is, if you'll surrender to him and submit to him, God will use you. God wants to use you to make a difference. God wants your home to become a base of operations for ministry. Amen? No matter what. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, thank you for your word. God, there's so many things more that we could talk about in this passage. But God, you've given us at least some takeaways today, God. We, we need to be like Phoebe. We may, we may not hold an office or a position, but God, that shouldn't restrict us or hinder us from serving you. God, you give us opportunity to take the word of God to those, those that need to hear it, and specifically the gospel. Just like we saw in, in Zambia, God, we need a Bible and a willing servant of Christ, and a whole lot can get accomplished with those two things. So, Lord, help us to, to be personal servants of the Lord Jesus. Help us to surrender and submit our life to him. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as, as Lord and Savior, God, move on their heart. May they not leave this place without coming and asking about that and surrendering their life to Christ. Father, for our marriages today, God, help us to be purposeful and intentional. God, as husbands, let us lead our home in a way that honors Christ. 
for our wives, God, may they, may they submit themselves as unto the Lord and, and, leadership, and following the leadership that's been established so that, that, that our homes can be homes of ministry. God, we want to glorify you as husbands and wives. Father, I know we have families in this church that have unsaved husbands. God, I pray right now that, that, that you would move on their heart to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that they would understand their need for salvation. And Father, I know that there are, there are, are husbands that have unsaved wives. And God, I pray that you would move in their heart, Father, and break their heart and help them to understand the need for salvation in their life. And whatever it is that they're looking for, for satisfaction in their marriage or in life, God, it, it is mute without Christ. Help them to understand that. And Father, strengthen our church, Lord. We need to be about your business. And God, we want to do that. And we want to be faithful stewards to you. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.